a new series today that I'm calling Influence. Uh, I, I was putting this together as a leadership series. And as I thought about it, I thought probably 70 percent of you, if we ask you, you'd say, I don't really think I'm a leader. You know, I, I, I'm not. That's not necessarily a gift that I have. Well, you may not think of yourself as a leader. However, most of you would likely want to be a good influence. And in a way, if you're a good influence, you are leading by example and people will follow you. And so as we think of this, I think this really works for leaders, but it works for all of us because all of us would like to be a good influence. John Maxwell said this leadership is influence. And um, I, I thought of this week as I was thinking of these things, people following us and influenced by by us. I thought of this quote. When I die, I want to go peacefully in my sleep like Grandpa did, not screaming in terror like his passengers. And we, we all need to know that God uh, wants to work in our lives in such a way that we'd be a good influence because people are following. People are, are in the car when we drive. And um, we want to be people of good influence. I like the way Paul said it. And, and you know, in this sense, we're all, we're all leaders. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. If we will follow the example of Christ, we will have great, great impact on people around us. Let's pray. Father, uh, I invite your Holy Spirit to come. Teach us, Lord. Grow us through your word and your truth. Holy Spirit, come and rest upon us. Uh, touch our hearts and move us to the things that please God the Father. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're going to have a good influence on others, there's, there's three things I have in this sermon I'm calling lead with love. Lead with love. You will not be a good influence. You will not be a good leader if you don't lead with love. And the three points I think uh, that would illustrate good influence are this. The first thing you have to do is let God love you. And I'm thinking of this in two capacities. That sounds kind of strange. What do you mean let God love you? God already loves you. That's true. But you're the one who determines if you'll let him really embrace you. We do that in two ways. One, by whether we'll let him come into our hearts and lives. And some of us would resist that for whatever basis. Maybe we don't truly believe that Jesus is the way yet. Uh, maybe we've been hurt. Maybe we've walked away. We're not ready. We love the things of the world. And we're not really willing to give him all of our lives. But whatever the reason might be that's holding you back, if you're going to be a good influence on this world, you have to let him love you. And receive that love. Titus says it this way. But when God our Savior showed us his kindness and love. He saved us not because of the good things we did. But because of his mercy. He washed away our sins. And gave us a new life. Through the Holy Spirit. God wants to give new life to everyone. Through his son. Jesus Christ. Several weeks ago I told you about my visit with my parents in Missouri. Around Christmas time. And I talked to you. About my cousin Robert. Now I thought of Robert more as an uncle than a cousin. Because uh, he's, in, he's now in his early 60's I believe. And um, I'm considerably younger than that. Although, although I got an ARP card in the mail this past week. Holy cow I just wanted to send it back and curse them. But I didn't. I, uh, I put it in my wallet and I'm going to take the discount. That's what I'm going to do. But uh, <clears throat> anyway he's, he's older than me. And um, as I as I think of my relationship with him, I just remember him being a great athlete. You know, we used to go watch him play softball and he would he would just dominate a game with his bat and his glove. And um, 
I, I remember him in circles with family, just making us all laugh. And I remember <clears throat> how he was a, uh, a person that was respected in the community because he was a good man and he cared about people. But this is the deal about my cousin Robert. <clears throat> he doesn't know Jesus. He had never accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. And his family had been praying for him for 30 years. And uh, now that he's older and, and he's living in Missouri and he's, he has a heart issue, we were there visiting with him. Knowing that everybody's been praying for him for all these years and knowing what a good man he is. And you know, you don't get to heaven because you're a good man or a good woman. You don't get to heaven because you do good things. You only get there because of the mercy of God that's applied to your life through the blood of Jesus Christ, who died to pay the price for your sins. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The only way we can be forgiven, however much or little or great your sin is, the only way. The only way, because we're separated from God, the only way to be reunited is to take the love that God the Father offered through His Son, Jesus Christ, that we might be forgiven. So I know this, and I know that this good man that I just love dearly, Robert, is not going to go to heaven unless he accepts Christ. I know he's really sick. So we're there in Missouri. We've had a great time at his house, a house that he built. Such a funny man. He's got this pacemaker now, and he was telling us how... Uh, he has to pack a lunch. He walks so slow to go get the mail in the front of the house, you know. And, and uh, um, I, I, he said the Indians locally used to work with him on his construction sites and they would call him uh, Big Bob. And now now he says they call him Bobby Slowwalker. And he's just making all this stuff up, you know. And so as we're about to leave and I've laughed and honestly, I enjoy him as much as anybody in my family. And he, he, and he, did, he didn't know Jesus, you know, and I just loved him all these years. And as we're leaving, I was about to hug him and he's he's completely deaf. So he reads he reads lips. He lost his hearing um, about a decade ago completely. And um, so I'm about to hug him. I hear this voice and in retrospect, I think it was the Lord, this voice that says you'll never see him again. And. Um, so I'm thinking of this good man who doesn't know Jesus. And it's really awkward time to try to talk to him about the Lord because the whole family's standing around. And there's been a 30-year argument with he and his wife and kids. I'm just saying it in that sense but because that's the way I think he perceived it. Uh, he didn't want to lose a 30-year argument, you know, about not coming to Jesus because they'd, they'd had all kinds of talks. And I hear this voice, you're never going to see him again. And I, and I thought, boy... You know, I didn't know if it was me, I didn't know if it was the Lord, but I know it was unusual to hear that. And um, I had this thought, boy, I'd rather, I'd rather try now than think later if he died that I, I never responded when the Lord was prompting my heart. So right there in that setting, I said to him, Robert, have, have you accepted Jesus yet? And he has to read my lips, so you know, I have to talk big, and he's, he's looking, and... He shook his head and uh, then he started to tell me how he doesn't believe all the Bible. And, uh, you know, about the parting of the Red Sea and the ark and the animals. And he starts saying, I said, Robert, you don't have to believe all that. And that might surprise you that I would say that. But but I said, you don't have to believe all that. You have to believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God, that he died for your sins. And that's what you need to do or you won't go to heaven. And I said, Robert, I may never see you again. I want to see you in heaven. And then he started talking about church and people at, at church and how he didn't like church. And, and I said, Robert, you don't have to go to church to be saved. Now, that might surprise you. The Bible talks about going to church. But really, you know, I just want him to know you can't for us, church, you can't clean a fish before you catch it. It is you just you, it's it's absolutely impossible. 
And you, you have to catch it and, and then it, it's cleaned. And so when people come to Jesus, their hearts are regenerating and all this stuff about church and things. You know, the Lord will just work in his time. I said, Robert, you don't have to go to church. You have to receive Jesus Christ. Well, he never really, I mean, I just his arguments went away and just a little bit there, you know. And uh, he didn't, I said, do you want to do it? I want to pray with you now, Robert. And this was really over about 10 minutes. I'm trying to shorten it. He said, no, he didn't want to pray. And I said, well, listen, Robert. You don't have to do it here, but when you lay your head down tonight on your pillow, you can say to Jesus, forgive me of my sin and come into my heart. I said, you don't need everybody around. You don't need anyone. But you need to talk to Jesus if you're going to be saved. So I said, you think about that. And he said, okay. So we saw him two days later in a restaurant. And um, we were visiting together and it wasn't long before I thought, well, you know, just a little follow up here. I said, Robert, what do you think about Jesus? He's reading my lips and... He says this, big accent. He says, I think he's a pretty good man. I said, you do? He said, yeah. And I said, did you, did you pray to Jesus this week like we talked about? He said, I did. I said, you did? And I, I'm thinking he doesn't really understand me. And I said, did you pray that Jesus would come into your heart and forgive you of your sin? He said, I did. And I said, you did? You mean you, you know, I just want to <laughs> make sure that you really did this and he said, yeah, I did this. Well, man, I just want to jump up and shout and yell to everybody what Robert did, you know, but I, I kind of, I didn't want to embarrass him. He hadn't told his family. And so uh, afterwards, I, um, I pulled Becky aside and I said, Becky, I just talked to Robert. He said he prayed this prayer and man, she was blessed. And well, here's the rest of the story. This week, uh, Robert's been in the hospital and uh, his kidneys are shutting down and they sent him home. And he's on hospice. And unless the Lord touches him, he'll be gone in a few days. And, uh, you, you know, in all of life, there's nothing more important than this thought. Have you let God love you? Have you given your heart to him? Have you entrusted your life to him and received Christ as your savior? There's no decision in life that's more important than that. And I'll tell you, if you want to be uh, the best influence in life that you can be, you have to start here. If you want to lead with Love, how can you know what love is until you receive the one who is love? So that's one of the things we do. We've got to let him in our life. But I want to talk about another thing that applies to all of us. That story may not apply to you, but it applies to some here today. You have to re- let God love you and give him your life. But here's another thought for you. What about, as believers, letting God love the places that are wounded and hurt in your heart? Think of letting God love you in this respect now. I heard a wise man say once, most of us live our adult lives trying to overcome our childhood. And you know, my, my wife's family is about as good as it gets as anything I've ever seen. About, I mean, they're, they, they just, they, they just, they're just awesome and just balance and boundaries. and it, It's about as close as I've seen, but no family has it down perfect. No family is perfect or will be perfect. And we live in a world where not only is it not perfect, but there's a complete other end of the spectrum where there's been all kinds of hurt and pain in people's lives. Sometimes inflicted by the people who are supposed to love us most. most. Abuse, physical. Abuse, sexual. You know, they, they, this is startling, and I, I, don't, I don't like to be shocking up here. I don't like shock uh, just for the sake of, uh, of grabbing attention. But there are numerous studies that indicate that incest takes place in up to 30% of the homes in America. Isn't that just one of the saddest things that you've ever heard? And as, and as you think of, 
of these kind of hurts. And then, and then, you know, maybe a dad beating you or a mother ignoring you. And, and you, you know, you move beyond that. To I, I don't know what your hurt is. But, but I, I know this. Most of us have had major hurt in our lives. And, and I'll tell you this. Hurt is on the way. I mean, this, this is not heaven. And, and at early junctures and middle junctures and late junctures in our life, we have to give that hurt up to God and let him heal it. Because if we hold it to ourselves and block him or block others that he would send to help us, we, we won't be good influences. We'll turn inward. We'll get angry. We'll get bitter. Uh, we'll, we'll separate ourselves from, from the things that God is sending to, to help us. And so here's my thought for you. Will you let God love you where you hurt? Maybe you're mad at it because you don't understand why this terrible thing happened. But I'll tell you this. God will never do anything but love you, help you, heal you, give you a future that's a blessing. So any other thought really doesn't originate from God. It might originate from your flesh. It might be something the enemy whispers into your ear. But he wants to heal your hurts. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. I don't believe when Jesus said that he was thinking only of unbelievers. Quite often we have to just hand that burden over because we, we just can't carry it. It's just too much. And Jesus gives this promise. I will give you rest. Now I believe that when we yield these things up that we're holding back at times. And really there's temptation no matter how mature you are. There are hurts of just temptation to hang on to. Because you like to... You know, you want to see that person do the right thing before you can be okay. Whatever the, the case may be, the hurt, those things can, can happen. And God would say, give it to me. You never heard this, you've never heard this name, but J. Frank Norris was an infamous pastor. He pastored uh, from 1909 to 1952 in Fort Worth, Texas. But for 14 years, from 1935... Uh, on, he pastored two churches, one in Fort Worth and one in Detroit. So from the 30s to the 50s, two churches. I mean, how do you get back and forth? I, I, I need more research on that. But just incredible the amount of work that he was doing. But what's more incredible, think of churches in the 40s. He added in that time span 25,000 people who joined those two churches. He was an incredible orator and speaker and uh, spellbinding uh, with, with his preaching. But he had a really stormy ministry. And, and I said infamous early on because his house as well as the church burned down on, on, on the site uh, where he was pastoring. And in both cases, he was the one accused of arson, burning down uh, the house and the, and, the, and the church. He was embroiled in controversy on a regular basis. He sued his own church at one point. He shot a man to death in his church office. I bet a lot of people didn't come back for counseling after that. <clears throat> Let me end it for you now, brother. I don't know what that was all about, but that is harsh and radical, and he had deep wounds in his life. He had a vindictive leadership style, and as they researched his life, they, they, they came to believe that most of it came out of the hurt in his childhood. Though he had all these talents and gifts, all of it was, was being negated because he was angry and hurt in his heart. When he was a young boy, his father was an alcoholic and beat him mercilessly. 
One time, two gang members came to the home to get his dad. They were shooting at his father. And as a young boy, he took a knife and ran at these two gang members. And they shot him three times as a little boy. People made fun of his clothing and they talked about him as poor and told him his dad was an alcoholic. And all this hurt was so deep in his heart and yet he had all these things to offer to God, but they were messed up because he couldn't get, he couldn't yield those things to the Lord. He wouldn't listen to others. He wouldn't let God come into his heart and take out all the pain that he was feeling. And as a result, he gave pain to others when they got close to him. Hurt people hurt people. I said all that to say this, there's a a significant number of well-known Christian leaders who grew up in dysfunctional homes. And I don't mean just pastors now, Christian leaders, business, the marketplace. They grew up in dysfunctional homes and God's healing grace has transformed many of them into healthy and successful leaders. But others are unwilling or for some reason feel unable to allow God's grace to free them from their troublesome past. And here's what I I said all that to say this about letting God love you. Would you let him do heart surgery on you? Would you give up that place that you hold back? I'm going to tell you what the enemy works in. He works in things that are hidden and secret. It is great soil for the seed of the enemy. When you hide all your pain, your hurt, and even your sin. And God wants to come and just bless your life. Now, you don't have to speak to everybody. You don't have to come down at an altar and and somehow announce to the world that you've got hurt today that's significant that you haven't been able to shake. You have to offer it up to God. But when you offer it up to God, He will give you people to help you. It's just the way He works. And they'll come alongside you. And I'm telling you, whatever you're hurt... If you don't give it to him, you'll find him a hundred and maybe a thousand different ways coming to try to take it from you in your life. He wants to take it so he can heal you and so you can be a good influence on others, not hurting someone like this other pastor had done. God loves you. God is reaching to you. God wants to heal your hurt. Let him do heart surgery on you. Isaiah 48 says this. If you had listened all along to what I told you, your life would have flowed full like a river. Blessings rolling in like waves from the sea. That's that's the only reason he wants to take it. Someone wounded you. You can be well and whole and healed even if they never do the right thing. Because God is a miracle working God. He can heal relationships that you never thought would be restored. I think of my dad who grew up in a dysfunctional home with, catch this, a preacher who traveled as a circuit riding preacher in Oklahoma. My grandpa, Jim, who I never met. He died at 49 when my dad was a young teenager. He was gone all the time and my grandma, Edna, had all kinds of wounds in her life from hurts that happened when she was young and she was at home along with the children. And I don't know why, and I don't want to disrespect my grandma, but I want to be real today. My grandma would beat my dad with two-by-fours and lock him in sheds. And the family took, uh, the, the girls, uh, just violence, took a, took a jar and busted his head when he was just a little boy and broke the glass into his head. My dad had a lot to deal with when he was a little guy. 
And my dad came to the point, and I'm talking about influence, where he said, how are we going to have influence if we have so much hurt that, that, that we're hurting others? My dad said when he left home at 14 after his dad died, he said to his mother, if this is God, then I don't want to have anything to do with him if he's like you. Now, that's a dysfunctional family, isn't it? Now, let me just tell you a quick praise. By the end of her life, Grandma Edna had been touched and healed of the hurt that was in her. And, Ma, and, and Dad and, and Grandma got their hearts healed and they loved each other and walked together by the end of her life. Now, some people would say, if somebody hits you the board, you should never love them and never open your heart. to. Hey, come on, man. Is God a miracle working God or not? Now, I'm not justifying any kind of abuse whatsoever. I, I despise it and, and I think God does too. But I am saying, saying God, God heals stuff. And He heals people. And, and things can happen that you'd never imagine can happen. And peace can flow like a river even when you've been in bad situations. My dad, you know, he carried some hurts in his life when he came to our family. But because he came yielding more and more to Jesus all along, his, their, their, his family grows up and, and, and there are kids that are serving Jesus from his family. Because he let God touch his heart. Well, I think to some degree that's true for all of us. That's pretty hardcore case there. But that's true that there are hurts in all of our lives some way. Maybe it's neglect. Maybe it's just something we've trumped up. But God wants to heal that. Would you, would you let him love you? And give it to him so he can heal it and you can be the type of influence that he wants you to be. Growing and helping others grow in him. Second thought here today. The first was this, let God love you. The second is this, love God back. Love Him back. Jesus was talking about what was important when someone asked Him. And He said in Matthew 22, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. So that's greater than loving your spouse or loving your kids or loving your mom and dad or loving your friends. The number one pursuit in life should be this love of God. And that, that's what I, I mentioned it the other day. That's, that's why I love this word so much. This, this word reveals the character of Christ and helps me become more like Jesus. And so when I dig into it, I, I, I'm, not, I'm certainly not saying I'm perfect. When I get into this word, I see stuff I need to work on on a regular basis. And sometimes it's, you know, one of those things. It's like, oh, God, but I pray and I yield it up to the Lord and I, and I grow. And sometimes, yes, I struggle to move forward. But thank God, by His grace, from the day I became a Christian, I continue to move forward. The Bible says to strive for perfection. It also tells us we'll never be perfect until we come to the perfect one, Christ, uh, when, we, when we see Him face to face someday. As we, as we were worshiping and contemplating just this morning already. But I, I love this, this word. And so, how do you show that you really love God? You know, if someone asks you, do you love God? Let me tell you what the Bible means when, when, it, when it says love God. To love Him is to obey Him. So, here's what it says in the Scriptures. 1 John 5, 3. Everybody pay attention. Look at this. This is love for God to obey His commands. And His commands are not burdensome. So, if we say we love God... If that's true, and I believe the Bible is, and we say we love God, but His direction, His purposes, His plan, His principles in this Word, if they're not important to us and we don't even pay attention to them, or we decide to ignore a few of them, we're not really loving God the way He wants us to love Him. Loving God is following His commands. That's what the Word says. If you, 
This is love for God, to obey His commands. You can't influence or lead well if you don't love God enough to pursue and follow His ways. I like what Benjamin Franklin said. He said, He that cannot obey cannot command. Well, think of terms of leadership. Think in terms of, of influencing. How are we going to influence God when we, we don't obey? How, we, we shouldn't be leading. I mean, we've seen evidences of you know, it's one thing to stumble and fall. It's another thing to live a life full of hypocrisy, right? And, and when that happens, uh, people are devastated in the body of Christ because someone who was supposed to be spiritual uh, wasn't, wasn't living what they were saying. And, and that's, called, that's called hypocrisy. But when you love God back, you have this heart to follow Him. And to obey Him means to trust Him. What do I mean by that? To trust that what He says in here is true, it's right. It blesses us. It doesn't hurt us. We may not like it, but if we don't like it, we're not thinking right. It's, it, God never has a problem with direction for our lives. But we have a problem with His direction sometimes. And when we, when we go away from His truth, we're not trusting Him. And we're opening ourselves in a vulnerable way to pain and heartache in our lives and the lives of those around us. Psalm 119.11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Trusting means that we know he has our best interests at hand. His ways are right. And he's given us great information to help us make brilliant decisions right here. That's why we need to be in this and eat for ourselves. And that's why we have the horizon journals to help us get into a a daily reading plan on a regular basis so, so we can see the boundaries and be blessed by those boundaries. And you know, leadership is decision making. I'm still talking about influence, but leadership is decision making. It's good decisions or bad decisions. And um, you, if you're a leader, you're going to put in a place, put in a, be put in a place where you have to make decisions and you'll be judged by whether those were good decisions or not. I think sometimes we get confused between the, the difference between living a significant life and a successful life. Here's the problem with success. It's determined way too much by the world. Aspirations can creep into us, whether in the church or in the business world. And we can get off track because success to us is big dollars and high visibility. That's success in the world's terms. I think we can really mess up our Christian lives if we start to determine whether we're successful on the basis of worldly terms. For instance, you might see the best day of your life hanging out with the President of the United States. If you got to sit down and have a conversation, speak in his life, he spoke back, you got a picture, you have it on an office wall, and you may say, one of the best days of my life. But it may not be a day that was very important at all to the Lord. Maybe your most significant day to him might be that you sat down with someone that others... Don't think uh, too much of that they would say that that is an insignificant person. Maybe God would say the best day you ever had in your life is when you sat down with someone that nobody else cared about and you poured my love into their life. That might be the significant day that God thinks is way more important than what you thought was a successful day. We can't judge our lives on the basis of a worldly philosophy. We have to judge our life on the basis of what God says is significant. And make decisions as he leads us and guides us. Let me, let me give you two names. Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson. Um, 
Augusta uh, and the Masters Tournament this year. It happened just a few weeks ago. The talk going into that tournament, one of the most prestigious tournaments in the world, was of Tiger Woods' family. And the secret uh, sexual rendezvous that he was having behind the scenes through the years and um, a wife that had been betrayed. Six months off, first time back in six months to a tournament was Tiger Woods stepping in that tournament. And the news, I mean, how... uh, Look, I don't want to put Tiger Woods down. I, I, I hope that he finds the love of God to bless his life. I think there's still a great story that can be written in his life. But, but I'm talking about decision making right now. I'm talking about the difference it makes. And here he is, you know, the news making such a big deal about it. And shame upon shame upon shame that just visits him over and over again. And it's, all, it's honestly, for him, almost too much to bear. But it came from some decisions that he was making that eventually jumped up and bit him in a big way. That secret sin. That's what was talked about before the tournament and his comeback. But at the end of the tournament, after those, those days, uh, on the 18th hole, Phil Mickelson comes in. And it's quite a story because Phil Mickelson's wife, Amy, was diagnosed with breast cancer in May. And a guy who's largely considered to be the second best golfer in the world, but behind Tiger Woods, made this decision to pull off a hard schedule on the, on the pro professional golf tour so he could be with his wife. So he didn't go to as many tournaments. All the other golfers would go into the tournaments a couple days before to do some practice rounds, and Phil made the decision that he would not do any practice rounds before his tournament. For nine months, he stayed close to her in Houston. For nine months, he stayed with her so, she, so he could be with her because he didn't know if she'd be around. And unbelievably, he comes into that tournament when doing things that people would say you could never win if you did that. Making a decision. I don't know if he's a Christian, but it's certainly a godly principle to stay close to your family rather than gain success in this world. And uh, he made that decision. And unbelievably, he wins this tournament. He sinks a putt on the 18th hole. He walks up and now his wife, Amy, hadn't been at a tournament in, in, in more than six months. And she was there that day and he gathered his family around him and pulled her in and hugged her and tears and a very non-emotional man, Phil Mickelson, tears were running down his face. And the talk at the end of the tournament was a family story that was way different than the family story that was at the beginning of the tournament. Now, here's what I want to say to you. Decisions. Decisions to give up the hurts. Because sometimes those insecurities will lead to that kind of secret life. To let God love you. But a decision to love Him back. To stay within the boundaries because you trust Him. Now, a question for you. Pretty easy answer. Don't have to speak it out loud. Who has more influence that is good when it comes to those two names? I don't want to just be successful in worldly terms. Talent, skill, it's a God-given, grace of God gift, the things that we have. But our gift back to God is obedience to His Word and His truth. And when we trust Him and follow Him, richness comes to our lives. But not only that, not only are we blessed by following His, but other people around us are blessed as their influence towards the truth or the principles of God. You make good decisions when you follow God's principles. You can't make good decisions without, without following His principles. 
Matthew 6.10, just to speak a little further about, about God's impact on your life. Jesus said in a prayer, he said this is the way you should pray. And then he said this, Matthew 6.10, we ask that your kingdom will come now. And here's what Jesus said we should pray. May your will be done here on earth. When it comes to your job, when it comes to decisions about should you take on more ministry, should you let go of ministry, uh, should you get in a relationship with that person if you're, if you're a single person, can we pray, Lord, not my will, but yours be done? Or do we really want to direct God? And a heart that is submitted to God and wants to love him back is a heart that believes he will lead us and guide us to the very best decisions because he loves us. God's will keeps us from hurting ourselves and hurting others. It ensures that his blessing will remain on us and our families. Seek answers from him. You can't really love God without loving his word, his direction that he would pour into your life. Love God back. The way you love him back is by obeying his commands and seeking out his direction for your life. He won't hurt you. He's only going to help you, heal you and bless you. And that leads me to the third thought. First, let God love you. Second, love him back. And third, love people. Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine. Jesus talked about the first commandment and the greatest. And, and then Jesus said this, uh, and, and that was uh, to, to love God. And the second is this, equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. That word neighbor doesn't mean as much to us as it meant 20 years ago in America. Not many of us know our neighbors within a one or two block radius. We might know a couple of them, but it's different these days in the burbs, isn't it? Uh, We've got Facebook, and Facebook's great. I like Facebook. Uh, I think it's a a great way to stay connected, but but Facebook never replaces Facebook. And, and you, you know, God wants us to have significant connections with people. Um... That, that, that walk with them just, just beyond um, the comfort of our living rooms when they're not there. Meaning, technology can get you to hole up these days and just be involved with your phones and computers and TVs and all of that stuff. And, and uh, not necessarily any of it wrong, but if it dominates our life to the point where we don't reach out and love other people and express God's love in our lives, it, it can be a problem. Jesus was filled with compassion for people. He cared about people that were around him. I get the idea when I read the scriptures that Jesus treated everybody around him, everybody he came in contact with, as if they were the most important person in the world. I think everybody who came in contact with Jesus got the feeling that Jesus liked them. That's what I read now. The, the religious, hypocritical, religious, the, those leaders, the, you know, he had trouble with them and he vocalized uh, that they didn't really know God or love God and they didn't care about people. They just cared about themselves and their reputations and, and their pocketbooks. So Jesus, that's the only ones that Jesus really went after is hypocritical religious leaders. All the other people, he always walked with a life, lived towards them to love them and bless them. And Jesus is our example. If you love God, you're going to put the good of others ahead of the good of self. I like that old acrostic someone shared once. Joy. What is joy? Jesus, others, and you. And um, God leads us to love others and it brings joy to our lives. God wants us to care about everyone, even those that others see as insignificant. The great leaders know the name of the receptionist in their corporations. 
They know the names of janitors because they care about people everywhere. And they don't just know the names of the people that can help them or bless them or bring productivity to the company or or, or can hook them up in a relationship that that helps them. They care about people. And that will flow through a whole organization if someone cares about everybody around them. Jesus stooped to, to, to wash the feet of those that were around him. The disciples, even though I think it's pretty safe to say God is superior to the apostles and Jesus was God. But he came to show us how to live and he was blessing, serving and reaching out to others. He said, let the children come unto me. When's the last time you knelt down and looked a child in the eye and talked to them that wasn't connected to you and your family? Said some nice things to him. Leaders who see others as a means to their gain are dangerous. If it's all about gain and that's the way they use people, they'll never be people of influence. Leaders that have the best interests of people in mind are those that will find God blessing their life's work and an influence that goes way beyond business. So here's the bottom line. If you follow God's heart, he will lead you to love people. I want to say that again. If you follow God's heart, he will lead you to love people. There's a pastor named Brady Boyd who preached a sermon recently that I heard. He lives in Colorado. And Brady talked about a meeting that he was in. And a world famous atheist was speaking. And at the end of the time, he allowed questions in it. Christian, a brother who was a believer, said to him, but what if you're wrong? What if there is a God? And this atheist said, well, that's a hypothetical question. I'm not going to answer that. Other questions, and later the guy said, same guy. But what if you're wrong? I mean, what are you going to say to God if you find out when you die that you were wrong? And the atheist paused for a moment, and he said, I'm going to ask him, why were you so hard to find? Now, at first, you could, you could say, hey, you're not looking too hard because if you seek him, you'll find him, the Bible says. And, and, and you'd, you'd be right to speak on those terms. But there's something in there that I want us to consider that I think is powerful. Why is God so hard to find for our community? And if he's going to find, if they're going to find Jesus, where are they going to find him? It's us. My prayer for, for you, for me, for us, is that we would live our lives in such a way that we would make it easy to find God in our community. Easy to find Jesus. Well, how do you do that? You do it by living a life that reaches out to others and loves them even when they don't have anything to give you. It's not even about mutual friendship or, or reciprocating kindness back. It's just a cup of water in Jesus' name. It's just caring about a family who's... Excuse me. <clears throat> Who's going through a divorce? <clears throat> it's being there to love people. It's our responsibility as the people of God to make it easy to find Jesus in our community. I mentioned it in the first service. Uh, a friend of mine gave me a call and said, hey, hey, there's an artist named Lorenzo, and I'm, I'm not sure if I have the name right here, but uh, Guillory, who lives in this community, he's world-renowned for his sculpting and his painting. He's asked to see you. 
I'm not much of a connoisseur of art. I, I just, I, I, I kind of like some of it, but a lot of it doesn't even make any sense to me. I'm just way, way too practical. My favorite paintings were done by my kids when they were five and six years old. I mean, that's, that's just kind of where I'm at with art. You know, I, 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 I like it. It was personal. And, and even though, you know, there's a picture of me and I looked hideous, I knew it was done from a heart of, of love by the children, right? So I said, what, what, why would he want to see me? And he said, well, he drove in, saw the cross on the campus, and he, he wants to talk about sculpting a Jesus uh, for, for the, camp, the campus. Well, this is a guy who's done art for the Vatican and the Pope and presidents and kings and prime ministers across the world and, and all, all, all countries. And so I said, well, OK, I'll talk to him. And so we went to see him and we sat down and it was a very interesting person and the art was was amazing. The sculpting was was incredible, and and I was impressed when I when I saw it. There's there's a, a lot of it that I was surprised by, uh, you know, as I saw it, and and uh, wouldn't wouldn't choose to have it in my home. I'll just say it that way. But but you know, he, he's this world famous artist, and I'm sitting down with him, and he wants to tell me about a Jesus that he sculpted, that he created for the Crystal Cathedral in Robert Schuller. If you go there, you can still, you know, they have it, and he was commissioned to to do that. And Robert Schuller called him, and he's telling me this story as I'm sitting with him. And Robert Schuller said, "What is your concept of Jesus?" To Lorenzo, and Lorenzo said, "This the artist. There was a lot of his stuff that had Christ and a religious component to a lot of his art." And he said, "This. He said, uh, Doctor Schuller, I want you to think about every person who's ever done a kind or a good deed to you." Whatever the color of their skin, they, they were good and they, they blessed you. Perhaps it was a friend who called you when you needed help. Maybe it was a little girl who once held your hand and made your heart feel warm. Maybe uh, it was a neighbor who helped you in time of need. Think of all the good things that have happened to you. And that's what I think Jesus should look like. Well, you, you know, with his brilliant mind, really... I don't know exactly what he meant, but let me tell you what I, what I take from that that I really liked. When we reach out with the love of God, we become his face and his hands to people. When they see us, if we're living right and expressing our love, our love of God and the love of God in us, they're going to see what Jesus looks like. I don't know if I want a statue of Jesus on our campus. I mean, we're trying to figure that out and contemplating that. But I know this. I'd sure like Jesus to be in our hearts so we can help other people to see his face. Like Lorenzo was talking about in that story. I think of Jacob, whose brother had stolen his blessing and had reason to harm Jacob for the terrible deeds that he had done. When they met each other on a road, his brother Esau offered forgiveness to him. And Jacob said this, to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Why? Because forgiveness, a component of the nature of the love of God, was offered to his brother. I wish we could live our lives in such a way that to see our faces would be like seeing the face of God. Because we're loving and we're giving and we're serving and we're caring for people. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. They may not be taking a good look at God, but when you bring something in Jesus' name with nothing attached to it, their hearts will be turned to thinking about Him and contemplating what He might have for them. 
First John 3.16, this is how we know what real love is. Jesus gave his life for us, so we should give our lives for our brothers and sisters. I want to share a story with you where I saw the face of God when I was a little guy growing up. Hopefully it will illustrate impact that we can have. My dad had um, been working at a job where he made a lot of money. Big money in those days. And he became a Christian. Somewhere along the way he found Jesus Christ. He was away from home a lot. Hardly home for a couple years on this job. Just gone on a regular basis. Out doing work, making money. Still supporting his family. He did love us. But when he came to Jesus, the atmosphere was, was so difficult to live for Jesus in because there, there wasn't a ton of character around him in the place that he worked. And there were temptations that were being um, brought up before him. So because he had been away from us, because it was a bad atmosphere, he made a decision to pull away from a good paying job and work for $4 an hour as a welder in Santa Cruz, California. And our family went from having quite a bit to having hardly anything. Now, just so you know how I felt when I was a kid, I loved it a lot better because for the first time, my dad was there to play catch with me on a regular basis. And I loved that. And I think that's the way kids think. They don't really think about having a lot and tons of money, especially when they're little. They care about presence with a C, not presence with a T. Presence with a T can mess them up. Presence with the sea will bless their lives. Well, he was there. But I remember not having much. And we were in a church, kind of a setting like this, with some really good people. And, and we were a family that had just come to Jesus. All of us had just come to Jesus. And we settled in. And somebody somewhere noticed that we didn't have much. And we were struggling financially in this, I don't know, three or four month period is the way I remember it. And there's a fellow named Jan, a man named Jan, who came to our door one day at our house. Jan asked mom if he could take the four kids out. She trusted him. He was a good man, one of the uh, elders and, and, and a, just, just a volunteer pastor at the church. And she, she said, sure. So we went out and he took us to McDonald's. Now, in those days, we did not go to McDonald's. We hadn't been for months. We didn't lower our, our you know, eating out budget. There was no eating out budget. You know, some people live that way. Some of us are just alarmed that we have to, you know, tone it down and only eat out ten times a month, you know. Uh, but, but we didn't eat out. Uh, we had trouble getting food on the table at home. And um, somebody noticed and he came and he took us and he took us to McDonald's. Four kids, just stair-stepped kids from, I, I don't know, I'm going to guess we were, we were like 7 to, to 12, some, something like that, our ages. And when we got to McDonald's, he said, I want you guys to get whatever you want. His wife, Gail, was with him and they said, step up and get what you want and we thought, no, we, we shouldn't do that because we want a lot. You know, that was, <laughs> you haven't been to McDonald's in months. I mean, it, it's the best, you know, if you're a kid. And he said, no, get whatever you want. And we said, we well, shouldn't. He said, yes, please do. So we stepped up and we got the apple pies and the burgers and the Cokes and the shakes and the fries. I mean, we took three trays back. It looked like the sisters in the Cascades, you know, three mountains. And we sat there stuffing more than we should probably and eating. And we walked out going, oh, this guy's awesome. And, and then he takes us from there and he takes us to a shoe store. And he walks us in. He says, now, now, when I think back, it moves me because... He must have seen our shoes. And uh, 
He said, I want you kids to get any pair of shoes you want in this place. And we said, no, we, we can't do that. Our mom, our mom wouldn't, she wouldn't want that. She, we, we need to talk to her first. And he said, no, I want you to get shoes. And we said, no, I said, we, we really shouldn't. And, he, and Jan Lake knelt on a knee like this and he looked me in the eye as a little guy. And he said, son, the Lord spoke to me and told me to buy you a pair of shoes. And I looked at my brother and he went. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, who am I to stop God? Let's get some shoes. And so we got the shoes on. Then he took us to a grocery store. Can I just tell you, shopping with a man at a grocery store is way better if you're a kid. <laughs> way better. Because ice cream and cookies, it all gets in there, you know. And he let us pile in the stuff we like. And they just, I mean, just a couple grocery carts. We came back home to a mother standing in a doorway, watching us walking with new shoes and fat bellies and groceries, saying, this guy's awesome, Mom. My mother was in tears as we kept bringing groceries in. And I can tell you that that day for me, seeing Jan Lake's face was seeing the face of God. All these years later, I haven't forgotten. As a matter of fact, because Jan did it for me, I've done it for others. Four little boys years ago in Salem, Oregon. I'm sorry, four kids, three little boys next door. One of them was a baby girl that was just not too old, less than a year. Dad left them and just disappeared. Wasn't present. I remember taking those little guys out. I remember thinking of that story back in my life and getting them up at the counter and they're getting their stuff now. I took them fishing, which was probably a mistake for me, but they loved it. They caught fish for the first time in their lives. On the way home, a four-year-old was talking to me and he looked up at me as I'm driving. He said, I wish you were my dad. I know what he meant, that he was feeling love that someone should have been bringing him. That he was feeling something and I got to talk to that little guy about God the Father. How he would never leave him. Or forsake him. And as a matter of fact, he sent me today to show you how he feels about you. I'm saying that story because Jan Lake built something into my life to show me the value of loving people. So, so here it is, church. Will we care about people? Now, there's a lot of ways. There's not just monetary. There's hurt and there's wounds. There's people who are just flat out wonderful people and who are completely alone. Tell you this, God doesn't want them to be alone. It says in Galatians 5, 6, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. When we love God, he'll lead us to love people.